The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air across Kentucky with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is your chance to get the latest news and views on your caps. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. And you can interact with Tom by tweeting at Leach Report or by emailing leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call the drinksword.com hotline, 877-904-1080. Now, here's Tom Leach. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the Thursday edition of the Leach Report from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio and back from the Big Apple and uh, ready to... Jump back into things today here with Mike Pratt, with Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated, and some football with Adam Luckett from KSR. That is our guest lineup of the day as we roll into the Wildcat news of the day. And uh, we got back uh, late Tuesday night, and then uh, the Cats turn right around and play a game tomorrow night against Robert Morris, and then the uh, football team getting ready to take on Vanderbilt on the road on Saturday with a chance to finish with a winning record in SEC play. I looked this up yesterday. It would be just the third time since 1964, but the second time in four years. So I think there's some, you know, something significant about that as far as, you know, just little landmarks as you try to build a program and get it to a higher level. So winning with some consistency, having a winning record in this league, is a, an accomplishment. So uh, Kentucky would uh, be able to finish up at uh, five and three in the league and uh, get rid of that three-game losing streak with a victory on Saturday. Uh, let's start with a little recruiting. Kentucky picked Kentucky men's basketball picked up four new signees yesterday: Casey Wallace, Chris Livingston, Sky Clark, and Shaden Sharp. Sharp was in the following class initially, but has already uh, graduated, and so has signed and is going to enroll for the second semester. And what he says is that he will practice uh, with Kentucky, and he is definitely committed to being here for the the second season. And will he play this season? Well, he could, but and he is basically he has just said that you know he'll do whatever is needed, but he's uh, fine with just coming in and practicing for the second semester and getting better that way, and then playing uh, one full season the next year. So we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, how to see how the season goes uh, between now and when he's eligible will probably tell you whether or not uh, he can play, you know, he would play. I think the the easy answer would be if they think he can help them, then you might see him out there at some point. But uh, let me change that. That's not entirely true because you know somebody that talented can help you. But are you comfortable with what you have and you don't want to uh, disrupt anything or do you are you uh, more inclined to, to risk disrupting things because you're not comfortable enough with where you are so that'll kind of I'm sure determine uh, how that all plays out but um, we'll just have to wait and see football four-star offensive tackle Emil Wagner decides today uh, Kentucky Penn State Ohio State Notre Dame Maryland or his five finalists, the analysts seem to believe it's Kentucky or Penn State. Uh, Kentucky, as I said, plays Robert Morris uh, when it returns to the court tomorrow night at Rupp, and the Colonials played their opener last night at Central Florida and lost 69-59. UCF was up uh, 17 at the half, 
Robert Morris had trouble making shots, 20 of 61 from the field. They also had 16 turnovers in the game. Uh, Mark Stoops uh, was on the SEC teleconference yesterday and uh, said he's done sending in uh, questionable calls to the SEC office. And I can't say that I blame him. Uh, so it gets pretty frustrating to, you know, hear, oh, yeah, we did miss that one. Uh, nobody could do anything about it at that time. The answer is to get better in real time or to follow the proper procedures in real time. Uh, Justin Rogers talked after practice yesterday to reporters, and he said that Marquand McCall's been practicing and, quote, definitely ready for Saturday. Uh, Brad White was asked about it, and he deferred all of those questions to Mark Stoops, who will talk to the media today. I would tell you, though, with what Justin said, that I wouldn't count on the old Marquand McCall uh, whenever he comes back right out of the box. Um, So he's been gone for several weeks, and it will take a little time to get back. The sooner, the better, obviously, um, because uh, he could really help them whenever he comes back. I think losing him was a big part of uh, what's started the the regression on the defensive side. We'll uh, talk about that a little bit as we move through the show today. A couple of other notes. UK volleyball, number seven in the country, crushed Georgia 3-0. Allie Stumler had a big game, 15 kills. UK women's basketball, uh, they host number number 13, Kentucky, host North Alabama tonight. And Darren Hedrick will be on the call on the UK radio network. 12 past the top of the hour. Links to the stories that we talk about can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Our Wildcat News of the Day is served up by Giuseppe's of Lexington. Fantastic place to go before or after a U.K. game for homemade pasta, fresh seafood, steaks. You can see the menu at Giuseppe'sLexington.com, and you make reservations there. Live jazz to accompany your music. It is just a wonderful experience at Giuseppe's. We'll be right back. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the Cats. Quarter past the top of the hour as we welcome in Mike Pratt to the program. His weekly visits are presented by Boone's Butcher Shop in Bardstown. Have you caught up on your rest? Uh, and, you know, <laughs> I had to go to a doctor's appointment at 10 o'clock oh. in the morning. And I was struggling. And uh, but last night, I go to bed about 10 last night or a little before us. Tried to stay up. My daughter's busy. But I slept solid till 420. <laughs> That's how tired I was. <laughs> yeah. It, oh, uh, Lordy. It, and they think that, this that's, is all fun and games. Th- that was about our latest one. I got in my, uh, my car at the airport uh, when we arrived back from New York, and it was 458, and I had – Woken at 4.50 the previous morning to fly up there. So that may have been a new personal best. You know, that reminded me of that trip, Tom, we had in the NCAA tournament. When they they couldn't get the planes right, we were in Boise, headed home to oh, the yeah. regional. Remember that? We sat yeah. around the hotel and sat, we, we got home. We got to Lexington about 4, 4.15, 5 yeah, o'clock then, I'd too. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, you're right. I'd forgotten that. Was that glamorous, was the beauty. That was the beauty, life. Tom. Cal, people got a kick out of seeing, uh, speaking of glamorous life, where Cal's office was set up 
uh, you know, they have different levels, I guess, of locker rooms at the Garden, and you got four teams there. So Kentucky, I guess, got the short straw. And Cal's office, I tweeted this out. He, they had a table set up in a shower, um, and uh, the rest of the bathroom was was right to the left of the pic where the picture was. So Cal sitting there, and I love Tom Hart's uh, response uh, to my uh, tweet. He said, "Dare you to turn the knob on?" <laughs> Because it was yeah. right next to Cal, uh, the shower knob. So, anyway, uh, enough about that. Let's talk a little bit about the game. Um, Cal said, "What game? In, what game?" <laughs> Cal said in that pregame interview that we did that he told his guys to approach this like a high-level pickup game, meaning that you know this is the first game of the season. They have not been able to, you know, it's their first time to see how the pieces fit together, and then. You know, you you learn as you go, and you know they haven't had don't have everything installed and so forth. So, uh, random was a word that he used a lot at Shooter Ranch. Just go out and you know be a basketball player. We're going to give you some some uh, structure to help you out, but you know it's it's not going to be as detailed as it will be as the season moves along. And under those circumstances, Duke that night had the best two players on the floor in in Keels and Bancaro, and uh, it was a little too much to overcome. Yeah, and I thought Moore played pretty well, too, for a guy coming off mm-hmm, two years of injury. He really played well. They had to be happy with him. Um, and, look, um, it's just one of 30-some, hopefully 40, right? Right. And so you, you try to learn and get better. And we we got some good. This Ohio U team's a really good team. They, uh, uh, they knocked off um, Belmont uh, the other night, and they're going to come in just letting the three rain. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of challenges out here. There's going to be some bumps in the road. The main thing I think he wants to get his players to do is just to relax, Tom, play the game, as you said, but but also make this like a classroom, a learning experience. What can I do in the offense, what I can't do? And then if I'm them, I've watched the tape over and over again, and I've taped that I haven't watched it. I plan on doing that, though, today. And see what in the world Keels, how did Keels play? I mean, Paulo is, you know, he's special. Uh, you know, I laughed, Tom, because uh, LeBron tweeted out something about him. I thought, you know what, LeBron, you, you don't have to be LeBron to, to see this kid's a player, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on, give me a break. But um, Keels was the one. I mean, Paulo, the minute you saw him on the floor, you said, oh, my God, look at this guy. Then he started playing. So smooth. And the fluidity of his game was special. But Keels, I'm watching Keels. How did Keels score? At 6'6", six, six, he's powerful. I don't know if he's 6'6". Six, six. We were too high up to tell if that's a real number. But the fact of the matter is the kid played with such zest, such zeal, just attack, attack, attack. And that's where you can learn from other people by seeing a guy like that play. And studying him, just don't slap him off or forget about him. You know, learn from him. Yeah, he uh, just kind of mm-hmm. bulled his way to the basket at times to – perfectly i mean not like he was you know creating he was he was fouling anyone i mean he was just too strong for them to handle i'm not sure you know if the height number is correct i would feel certain the 221 on the scales were correct he he looked like a tight end really uh strong kid so um um, let's talk about the kentucky side uh kentucky had a had a strong guy as well that came out uh, looking pretty good in oscar shibway uh seemed to get every rebound and um you know he Fans are going to love watching just how hard he plays. 
Yeah, just forget about the fact that it's jump jump shot suspect. Forget about that. Just look at the way the kid played uh, in the around the basket, block the block. I mean, legitimately, is he six nine? I don't know. It doesn't make any difference because of his energy, his enthusiasm, the effort he gives. You know, we've got to appreciate that from this young fella, not not be so daggone critical of him. He, you know, he should have shot the jump shot. He should have. Should have. Hey, what did the kid get done? Seventeen boards. Okay, and he was all over the floor. So I, I'm praising him. I hope he keeps it up. You know, Kentucky, for as poorly as it shot, uh, especially inside the arc, was in a position where they had the ball down four. They had fallen behind, I think, by 13, got it to four there yep. uh, in the second half of the second half. And then uh, Xavier Wheeler had a couple of turnovers there that were um, – uh, you know, decisions he'll learn from, but he's um, so good with the ball that you know sometimes uh, his players have to move a little better to open spots to give him somebody to throw to because you know he's gonna you know he's going 100 miles an hour and he's gonna get in there deep sometimes he uh, you need to make sure that you you present yourself to give him an option. Man, you must be in my train of thought because <laughs> that's the first thing that I thought of with him is he sometimes goes too far on the drive. And I, this is just my philosophy. Somewhere between the charity stripe and the top of the block charge line, he's got to make up his mind and find a guy. And they have to make up their mind. They're going to an open spot. They're moving. So much harder to guard a moving target than a guy just stands still in the same place every time. Okay, so you got to have movement away from the ball. He'll find you. He gets in trouble. I think <clears throat> Excuse me. Duke changed their defense, Tom, in the second half for him. I thought this was a good adjustment. They uh, decided to let him, let him come in and paint. Let him get all the way to the rim. We'll block those shots or make him turn it over. What we don't want is to try to pressure him and pressure everybody from the start and let him break us down and the guys are open. So they, they pushed out on the wings. They let him get to the paint. The big guys blocked some shots, and they cut off his passing lanes. Okay? So to counter that, our guys got to move more, present themselves, as you said, better. And also, he's got to use this little runner because he's got a gap there, at least against Duke the other night. They gave him a gap because they were just waiting for him at the rim. Tough for a guy his size to finish. So, um, yeah, he's got a lot of – he's got new players to learn, um, and, and he's got a whole new system. So he'll, he'll, bet, he'll continue to get better. He'll make his adjustments. That will be the fun of watching Wheeler play. How does he make the adjustments? What, what are those adjustments, and how does it reflect on the team? To your point about uh, you know, the the shot opportunities, he hit forty eight percent on two point shots last year. That was better significantly than any guard Kentucky had last season. So he was uh, you know near fifty percent uh, inside the arc. So um, you know that's certainly something that that he can do. Before I let you go, I know you were a big Ty Ty Washington fan after seeing him in those first two exhibition games. He struggled in his first game. Uh, what was your take on what you saw? Well, first of all, I really, and I don't know if we mentioned it on the broadcast, but I really thought Calipari did the right thing. Didn't jerk him and sit him down and say, look, son, you, you, you're just having a bad night. Sit. He let him try to play through that. Let him learn himself what he can do and can't do. I thought that was a shrewd coaching move on Calipari's part that went unnoticed post game. You know, the kids got talent. I'm a big fan. I know he'll bounce back. It's uh, one of those games he had. And his coach stuck with him. That has to be a, a, a coaching 
move by Calipari that the kid will always remember. And I and I will say this before I, I let you go. Don't you think that Wheeler and Ty Ty or any of the guards of Ty Ty played together in practice? They thought he was going to do this and do that. And when he started struggling and kind of lost his confidence, I think they were still looking for him, and he wasn't there. And I know I think that affected some of the plays that uh, Wheeler tried to make. He was looking for his buddy there that he had practiced with that could make these shots as yeah, a release valve, and he wasn't there. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Mike, thank you much. All right, buddy. See you. 25 past the top of the hour, heading to a break. Justin Rowland will join us when we come back. Adam Luck a little later. It's the Leach Report for a Thursday. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington here in Hamburg and in Palomar with a fantastic breakfast, brunch, or lunch. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. 28 past the top of the hour as we welcome in Justin Rowland from CatsIllustrated.com. Before we get into talking about uh, recent games, let me start with uh, a recruiting item. Emil Wagner um, is getting set to announce later today where he's going to play college football, and it's Kentucky against some uh, big brand names. What do you think is going to happen, Justin? It's a really, really big decision, one of the most important all year and in a long time, I think, um, I think he's going to pick Kentucky, but I think Penn State is right there. And I don't think that, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think a lot of people know what he's going to do. They're hoping it's Kentucky. His brother Ahmad is on the staff there now, but he's, a, he's an elite pass protection prospect. They're really hard to find offensive tackles with his traits. And Ohio State wanted him. Notre Dame has wanted him, but I've heard it's Kentucky or Penn State probably. And everybody's going to be on the edge of their seat until he makes makes the call. If Kentucky can close the deal on Wagner and and hang on to Goodwin, that's those it's two pretty strong prospects to land for the Big Blue Wall. Oh man, it's like it's like an Alabama Ohio State offensive line class, no doubt. And I mean, you're talking about Grant Bingham and Nick Hall, legacy and a four star guard as guys that are that are helping to round it out. And they've got some other options: Florida State offensive tackle. Commit Daughtry Richardson, somebody to watch out for. Florida offensive line commitment Jalen Carter, and they're leveraging that big blue wall brand, and it's going to be a it's going to be an epic line class today. Could make it even better. Talk with Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated, and uh, we'll get into Kentucky Duke and uh, Kentucky football when we come back. It's the Leach Report coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. Return, refresh, refuel at Clark's. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Second half of our show for this Thursday. Uh, salute to all of the veterans who uh, are listening or have friends or family that are uh, listening today um, for all that these men and women do for us and for the uh, nation. Uh Certainly eternal gratitude from all of us um, on this uh, Veterans Day and uh, uh, for those that we have lost over the years in service to the United States. Uh, Justin Rowland's with us from CatsIllustrated.com, at Roland Rivals on Twitter. Any special deals going on right now, Justin? Not right now, but, but just keep checking the front page and sometimes something will pop up. 
All right. Let's talk a little bit about Kentucky Duke. What were your takeaways from what you saw at the Garden Tuesday night? I mean, you don't get to say Duke is underrated too often. And I'm not, I mean, I came away from the Zion game a few years ago thinking, wow, this team's going to win the national title. So I'm a little bit more cautious now. But Duke is really good. They've got some guys that are just different. And I thought in spite of not shooting well, taking probably too many contested shots, not running an offense as well as they're going to run later on in the year, Kentucky was right there, as competitive with them as most teams probably would have been. I think there's a lot to like about Kentucky's team, but you know, if I'm being honest, I thought maybe the offense would be more of a, um, I don't know, maybe not a finished product, but more crisp than it was. And, and some of that was Duke. They were tougher and better defensively than they have been sometimes. So I thought Duke was underrated, and I think Kentucky can eventually be worthy of the ranking that it had. If you have a team with great freshmen and you have a team, a veteran team that's going against them that uh, doesn't have that level of NBA draft pick talent on its roster, but has played together for a long time as veterans, you can maybe have a better chance of offsetting that early in the year. Here, uh, Kentucky is older guys, but they uh, are still learning to play together. And so the team with the two highest draft picks prevailed. That's not a great shot. Yeah, I would resist one temptation. I saw a concern that people had, well, I thought Kentucky was the experienced team. Shouldn't the experienced team have played better early in the season, and wouldn't the younger team peak later? I don't think it's necessarily that simple, like you said. like These guys haven't played together for very long. I don't think they've really understood how to leverage the advantages that Wheeler can create for them, mm-hmm. and I think he can improve in terms of not turning it over. They're going to they're gonna find better looks for Grady. Uh, I think they've got to find better looks for him because he's such a weapon shooting the ball. Frederick is going to change their dynamic as well. I, I do think they have some questions. Like I, I would almost want to trade one of those guards for a really athletic dog defender at forward, um, yeah. and maybe Toppin can be that. But so it's not a complete roster totally. But I, I think they got enough parts that they're going to be okay. Yeah, I've seen John Calipari teams for you know all these years here but other places and I've seen how they defend and it's hard for me to believe that they're not going to get a lot better defensively uh by the time they would next run into to Duke and be able to uh to handle some of the things but there are some good really good pieces for Kentucky it's just that Kentucky is kind of like a uh, maybe a, to use a football analogy they're a little more like an, an offensive line they've got to be good collectively uh because you know where Duke's got you know maybe the top pick in the draft, arguably. Kentucky doesn't have that, but collectively can be very good and can get very good by March. Yeah, they're going to have to play good team offense, and I think they can. The ball movement was still light years better than it was last year, which isn't saying a whole lot, but they did share the ball well at times. I just think, you know, how do you unlock that offense to become elite? I mean, one of the top five to ten adjusted offenses in the country or whatever the stats are going to say, and I I think Wheeler gives you that chance. But it can't just be ten assists and seven turnovers. Like you gotta, you gotta make it a cr- more crisp offensive product. And I think I think they will get there. That's the hope. And I also think that um, Oscar and Wheeler give them a pretty high floor as a team. I think that what they bring is going to be their game in and game out. Maybe not to that level, but it will be there. You know, Wheeler is uh, the the way that he plays, just the the speed with which he he plays and uh, going a hundred miles an hour. He's going to make you know, some turnovers, you can live with probably three to four a game because you're also going to get 10 to 12 assists a lot of times. 
uh, and some points. But um, you know, seven's too many, and not all of those are on him. Uh, you know, at halftime, I think he had two, and when Duke separated in the second half, Kentucky came back, and you know they were trying to to force it a little bit. I thought, and that led to uh, some turnovers there that they can get they can fix that. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's still so early. One thing I've learned is just not to read too much into this. Like last year at this point, we felt what Cameron Fletcher was going to, you know, push yeah. to be a, a starter, like a, you know, a glue guy. And, and, you know, you just never know. We're going to learn so much over the next two weeks. But I do, I do like the pieces that the backcourt has too much ability for this team to, to be bad in my mind. Like I just, I think the, the guards are going to carry them pretty far. And it's not like the 15-16 season with Euless and Murray where they just didn't have anything else. You know, Oscar is you know has one of the highest floors of any player in the country. But in that spot where they've got Brooks and Toppin, in my mind, they've got to find somebody um, that, that they can consider. They know what they're going to get from them, and and it's got to be something good. I think that's the question for me. Yeah, and for those guys, they're not going to have to guard Paolo Banquero every night. <laughs> no. That's the biggest matchup problem in the country, and yeah. But the good thing is, it's not like you know you're going to run into Duke again in the tournament. And if you do, I mean, the last time Duke played at that level against Kentucky, Kentucky took the punch and they didn't respond. And I thought they responded. The competitiveness was there. They play really tough. And I thought that in spite of not playing their best game, they didn't back down from a team that was playing at a really high level. I thought that that was a positive sign. Yeah, that team in the 19 season, Kentucky team was. Uh, good enough to have made a run at a championship. I mean, they were you know, lost to the overtime in overtime in the Elite Eight, and they laid down in that game. And I'm not, you know, not not to take too much away, the but they game. did not respond at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, quickly shift a little to Kentucky football, and uh, Kentucky now is sitting at uh, six and three with three games to play. Obviously, this is they, they're going to they're a huge favorite Saturday, but. You know, they, where where they are mentally uh, is going to be a big part of this, I would think, right? Yeah, they, this is a good part of the schedule. I almost wish they had run into this part of the schedule a couple of weeks ago after Georgia. I just felt like playing six straight games and then going on the road to play the most physical team in the country probably had um, an effect on the team physically and mentally. It was just a, a grind, especially those emotional wins and Vanderbilt's bad. I mean, they're, they they have bad personnel compared to their SDSEC and it's inexperienced personnel. Kentucky, it's, it's not going to be pretty if Kentucky doesn't fix some things defensively, but this is a good chance to reset. Justin Rowland, CatsIllustrated.com, at Roland Rivals on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we are about 18 away from the top of the hour. By the way, I tweeted out uh, a link to a tweet from Emil Wagner uh, that has a link to where you can watch his uh, commitment event later today if you want. We're going to take a break, come back, and Adam Luckett will join us from KSR, talk a little more Kentucky football. It's the Leach Report, and we're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. Quarter before the top of the hour on this Thursday, it's the Leach Report. We're welcoming in Adam Luckett from KentuckySportsRadio.com. There's a nice uh, article up about kind of analyzing where Kentucky is at this point in the season and how it got there. Um, Adam 
if sometimes in the preseason, you uh, a lot of things you discuss is if you're covering a team. And one of the topics that might come up in, in a lot of years is who's the player team A can least afford to lose. Well, as we, as this season has played out, it looked like Marquan McCall might have been uh, the the uh, the number should have been the number one vote getter on that question. Yeah, you go back to media day, Brad White said he was probably the most important guy on the team because of the things he could do and kind of anchor in the whole defense from that nose tackle position. And the further we get on, even if, you know, you wouldn't think of Marquand McCall being like this huge factor in the passing game, um, but I think not having him to do things maybe in the run game is opening up Kentucky more where they're having to sacrifice more numbers to stop the run, and that's opening them up in the back end. And it's really just been a domino effect. I think one or two losses you could stand, but Kentucky's now they're getting multiple losses there in the front seven. I think it's having a huge impact um, on their secondary. You know, when you had McCall and then Oxendine was starting to come on and Pascal uh, has played at a high level all season, but McCall in particular gives you the push up the middle into the face of a quarterback mm-hmm. and in a passing game. He's also tying up more blockers than the guys who replace him. So that's less attention to give to Oxidine and Pascal if you're fully healthy or the guys coming, uh, you know, the, the fourth or fifth rusher that you would have uh, coming in. And that's how you disguise a secondary that has some issues, and that's kind of what they were doing, I think, in September when they were playing so well. Yeah, I and mean, then you add that fourth rusher could have been Jordan Wright. Yeah, um, who's been playing? Who's had an ankle issue really all season? Um, so it's just a combination of factors. And I think you look at McCall specifically. You felt really good about the depth at that nose position, but you lose him, and you don't feel as good about it now. Um, and then over uh, at the boundary tackle spot, that Oxendine kind of in the Florida, South Carolina, LSU, that three game stretch, he really you start to see him begin to turn the corner. Um, and that was a position that was a huge question mark in the defense. And then as soon as you get a guy that's starting to turn the corner and the light's starting to come on, you lose him for the season. Um, it's just the injury bug really bit them hard. I think for a couple weeks there, uh, they were able to manage it, but now you're seeing that kind of get exposed um, in some areas where they're weaker. Those those weaknesses are being highlighted more because of some of the losses they have in other positions. You know, the thing about depth is – it's obviously a uh, wonderful thing to have, but you can have good depth as long as your number two guy or your number three guy is playing his his role of, you know, it's 15, 20 snaps a game, whatever it might be. Think about it with receivers. You could have, you know, if you have a really strong receiver core, and so your third best receiver on their third best uh, defender is a great matchup for your team. Well, if you lose your top two guys and suddenly your third best receiver on their best corner isn't as good a matchup. And no uh, you know, that's kind of a little what Kentucky's going into when you lose a guy like McCall. And, you know, there are fans who say it's just excuses. you got to have depth, et cetera. But it takes a lot of time in this league to, to build up that level of depth. With all that being said, um, they got to find a way. It, it does happen, so you've got to find a way to deal with it. And uh, you put up some pretty scary numbers I saw on Twitter about what uh, the last three quarterbacks have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you lose two NFL guys that knows and defensive tackle too, Tom. And then you have two guys you feel good about replacing them potentially, and then you lose them. So it's not just you losing your starters. It's that you had to 
you have big production to replace there even going into the year. And then it's really like kind of being on your third teamers now. Right. And that has a big impact. Um, as far as the quarterbacks go, I think Kentucky did kind of – you're a prisoner of your schedule in college football. And it just happened to be that they play the three best quarterbacks I personally believe on their schedule three weeks in a row. Um, you can say what you want about Stetson Bennett, but he's averaging like 11 yards per pass. Um, Hendon Hooker looks like a top-10 quarterback in college football. And Will Rogers leads the country in completion percentage, and he's looking like Mike Leach's next kind of air raid star quarterback. So I think having to play three good quarterbacks in a row combined with all the other issues they're having um, on defense, it just kind of equaled um, some bad football over the last 12 quarters, and hopefully it's a slump that can stop this weekend um, going to Nashville. I uh, had said all, all along I thought Kentucky offensively with a new coordinator with a quarterback that uh, didn't arrive until after spring ball that you know it, it would uh, in the the last third of the season would be a lot better than the first third. Um, I was questioning that thought after the performance at Mississippi State, but um, the what the way they played against Tennessee uh, makes me think that this offense is is in a position to to finish really strong. They are. Uh, going to finish the year probably with a 1,000-yard rusher and a 1,000-yard receiver. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have a quarterback throw for 20-plus touchdowns for the first time since Mike Hartline in 2010. I think there's a lot to believe in with this offense. You, the scripted drive for Liam Cohen, they scored every – in the first or second possession, they scored every game except against Georgia. Um, so his plan, game plans are coming in and working. There's been bumps in the road, turnovers – Lack of explosive plays at times has really bogged, I think, the offense down. Um, but there's a lot of stuff to believe in. Uh, red zone and dirt down, they've been really good, top five in the country in both those metrics. So there's a lot of lot of stuff to hang your hat on with this offense. Um, and I think it's really important going into next season. Um, you, you're going to lose some guys off this offense, but Will Levis is kind of going to be your cornerstone piece for the team um, going into next year. Him finishing strong, I think, can really give a boost in confidence, not only try to get some wins to close this year, but going into next year and trying to keep all that momentum rolling forward. Kentucky, after last week, is now number one in the league in touchdown percentage in the red zone. So they've been in the inside the other team's 20-yard line 33 times. And they scored 26 touchdowns. So that has been an area of strength. Yeah, and that's number two nationally, Tom. That's Really, really, really good what they're doing right now, finishing drives when they can get red zone possession. The, the lack of explosives uh, that you mentioned, does, that, does it take uh, the recruiting they're doing at the receiver position to really ultimately fix that? Yeah, you've, you've heard Mark Stoops talk about the need for more speed. I think that's what they're looking for there. Um, they really only have uh, Wondell Robinson. They're only kind of guy they, they've really run deep shots with consistently all year. Um, and that's not – he's more of, you know, your slot, typical intermediate receiver. That's not, I think, something he does. He does well, but obviously he has other strengths. You would rather have a guy more outside that can do that. I just think they don't really have it on the roster right now. And for whatever reason, they haven't really busted open the long runs um, like we've seen in the past. Um, so that that's kind of hurting them. But I think that you're right. Personnel-wise, I think they need to address that, and I think that's their plan moving forward. Another you know, piece of bad luck with injuries, Crowdus might have given him some of that had he been healthy. He was mm-hmm. looking good early in camp. No doubt. And, you know, no one's really talking about it, but no Keaton Upshaw this year. Um, yeah, I think when when Wondell Robinson started to see a lot of those double teams, those brackets, especially when he was going deep, that would have been an area where Upshaw would have thrived kind of 
in the intermediate up the seam areas. Um, Justin Rigg and Brendan Bates have done some good things. We've seen Isaiah Cummings. Maybe he's starting to turn the corner here soon. But Upshaw would have been kind of that potentially clear number two or good number three guy that they could have took advantage of and not having him, I think, had a big impact on the offense. Cummings may end up being that guy here in the last month because he comes off a big game against Tennessee and, uh, uh, you know, he's poised off that performance to maybe finish very strong. Mm-hmm. And you've seen him in more recent weeks. I think they're making a concerted effort to getting the ball mm-hmm. at some targets right. against Georgia. They went to him against Mississippi State, um, even though one of them was a really bad turnover there right before the half. But even in this game, late in the game, they were really going to him. The huge touchdown to get it within three in the fourth quarter, come back, go to him on fourth and long, and then going to a couple more times there at the very end. So he's a guy um, that is growing slowly, and I think you know all the pieces for him are there to really be a potential kind of impact player. It's kind of that you know hybrid flex tight end, and you're seeing him slowly start to get along, uh, grow, and I think in the year they're hoping that he can maybe take that next jump forward. At Adam Luckett, KSR on Twitter. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Tom. Quick break here. We'll come back and wrap up this edition of the Leach Report in just a moment. This day in Wildcat history, 1972, was the last game at Stahl Field. And Kentucky won it over Vanderbilt, 14-13. to Men's soccer, Kentucky's uh, in the CUSA tournament and beat Coastal Carolina by a score of 3-1 to one yesterday. They play Florida International now on Friday. Josh Pascal has been named as one of 20 semifinalists for the fifth annual Jason Witten Collegiate Man of the Year Award. That award honors a student athlete who has demonstrated a record of leadership by exhibiting exceptional courage, integrity, and sportsmanship both on and on the field. Sounds like a perfect description of number four. Josh Pascal, as uh, we were reading that from the uh, release from UK. So hopefully uh, Josh earns that recognition for all that he's overcome and the way that he has handled it. Uh, that will do it for us today. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll talk some Kentucky hoops with the Goose, Jack Gibbons, Charles Walker. Uh, we'll talk about the Kentucky football team and the matchup with Andy. John Clay from the Herald Leader as well. So we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. And again, a salute to all of the veterans on this Veterans Day. 